Please turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the words are up on the screen behind me. I'm going to be reading to you verses 1 through 13. A little bit about the book of 2 Timothy. This is Paul's, the Apostle Paul, who was taken hold of by Jesus Christ. He had been a Jewish leader in his time. And he is what the Bible calls a Pharisee. He was very, very concerned with the Jewish law and with keeping it and his uh, way of understanding it. He was very religious. He was very upright. He was very moral. And yet his aim in life before he came to know Jesus Christ was to arrest and persecute and kill Christians. Until one day when he's walking on on a road to a city to arrest and kill Christians, Jesus Christ arrested him, struck him down, and said to him, why are you persecuting me? And from that time on, the Apostle Paul, Paul became an apostle, not a a persecutor of, of the church, but a builder of it. And this is his last letter before he dies. And he knows he's about to die. We read later on in chapter 4, I think, where he says, I have finished my course. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. My time of departing is at hand. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not just for me, but for everyone who loves Jesus Christ's appearing. He knows he's about to die. And these are his last words. There is last words written to his, what he calls his son, Timothy. Timothy is not his son in the biological sense. Timothy is his son in the spiritual sense. Timothy became a Christian and was raised up as a Christian under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And Paul has handed off his work to this young man, Timothy. And these are some of his last words that he has to say to him. So follow along as I read these words to Timothy from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And they are the eternal words of God and they are written to us as well. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Do those words sound anything like the popular church's understanding of Christianity today? Is there anything in those words that sounds anything like the popular church's popular view of of Christianity? Do those words sound anything like your understanding of Christianity? When you think of Christianity, do you think anything along the lines of these words? I want you to think about this question 
as we work through this passage this morning. What is the one goal? What one goal does our culture hold out for us today? What is the one ultimate reason for living in our culture today? What is it? Why do we have all of the things that we have? Why do we have microwave ovens and remote controls for our TV sets and huge stores with everything under one roof? Why does our culture exist as it exists today? What view of life is our culture trying to sell us? It's easy, isn't it? Our culture is trying to teach us that in order for life to be good, life must be easy, comfortable, no hardness, easy. Ease and comfort and rest are the goal of our culture. They are the only goal. As a matter of fact, the overwhelming assumption of our culture is that a life that has any suffering is not worth living at all. And that explains all kinds of things in our culture that we see today. The goal of life, according to the culture we live in, is to avoid suffering at all costs. And if that can't be done, if you have any kind of suffering in your life, then the only other option that's, that makes any sense to our culture is to go ahead and die. Because after all, there is nothing beyond the grave. There is nothing. There is no future. There is no life. There is no blessing. There is no comfort. There is no pleasure. There is nothing beyond the grave. This is the only life there is. And if this life is one of suffering, then go ahead and put yourself out of your own misery. You are nothing more than than an old sick dog. Go ahead and put yourself down. If you cannot have joy, if you cannot have ease, if you cannot have comfort, if you cannot have pleasure now, then you'll never have it. So put an end to it. In order for life to be good, in order for life to be worth living, life must be easy. We see this all over the place. When I think of my own life, I realize how that mindset has deeply affected me. How much of my days are spent in the pursuit of comfort? How much of my time and energy is spent trying to save time and energy? How much of my life is spent to make certain that I can avoid all conflict, all discomfort, all unnecessary work, all unpleasantness? What about your life? To what extent is your life completely shaped by the pursuit of comfort and the avoidance of hardship? I'm not talking about um, becoming Amish, going back to the Stone Age. My wife and I lived without electricity or running water for nine months. Been there, done that, got got the t-shirt. And it stinks, yeah. Uh, I like electricity. I like to turn on the faucet and get water out that I can drink. I'm not talking about that. What concerns me most is not the fact that we have technology and comforts in this world. What concerns me the most is that we have sucked that down. We have drunken, we have drunk that mindset down deeply into our souls. We suck it down to the depths of our souls. And here's what we do with it. We reshape Christianity into exactly the same thing. The pursuit of comfort and the avoidance of hardship. How much of your Christianity is calculated to tell you soft things? To assure you that there is actually nothing difficult about being a follower of Jesus Christ. That there are no such things as crosses in this day and age. That there really is no hardship to be endured in this enlightened time. Last week I heard a missionary speak who is a man that I respect very much. He left his 
secure, safe, comfortable pastorate in the south, in Louisiana. And he and his wife traveled the world to find the most, the hardest place that they could go. They went to India. They went to China. They went to, I believe, South America, maybe Africa. They went all over the world. This is several years ago to try to find the hardest place that they could go. And they settled on China. And so 10 years or so ago, they went to China and it has been very difficult for them. Constant, constant threat of arrest, of deportation, of disappearing because of the government's hatred of Christianity. But I heard this man speak last week and he said something that I, that I was very disappointed by. He said that in America, we don't really have to deal with all of that. He said in the providence of God, America is a place where there is no such thing as persecution. He said that you would have to go overseas to find any kind of hardship as a Christian. But of course, the Bible says no such thing. I was sitting there listening to this man, again, whom I respect very deeply. My two oldest sons are sitting next to me. And as he's saying those words, don't worry about it. It's not America. It's only overseas. It's places like China, places like Saudi Arabia, places like the Sudan. Not America. God has given us the freedom from all of that in America. And I turned in my Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And I pointed these words out to my boys. They're not on the screen. Just listen to them. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How have we turned that into some might be persecuted? How do we pull that off? How do we, how do we pull that off? Because when we read it, that's what we think it says, don't we? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we walk away and we think, yeah, some people might be persecuted. How do we allow our preachers to tell us that, well, actually, all means some and will means maybe? I'm not preaching from that verse in 2 Timothy 3, 12, but the reality is, look at, listen to what it says. You know what it says, because I just read it to you. It says, all who what? Who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Aha. So, if we are not being persecuted, it is because we do not desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Right? I can wrap my mind around that, can't you? That makes perfect sense to me. How would most Christians today get around that? What would we say? Well, we would say that desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, because we want to avoid any kind of necessity of persecution, we would say something like this. Desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus is not of the essence of being a Christian. Desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, which Paul says will bring persecution, desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus is an extra commitment. It's a higher level. It's a noble but completely unnecessary further step in the Christian life. I don't desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, therefore I don't have to worry about being persecuted. That's great. But I will be carried to heaven on flowery beds of ease. And it'll be great. So no, being persecuted has nothing to do with being a Christian. It has nothing to do with the essence of being a Christian. Suffering hardship has nothing to do with being a Christian. After all, Jesus suffered for you so that you won't have to suffer anything, right? Really? Then why does God, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, command Timothy, command him to suffer hardship? 2 Timothy 2.3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul is commanding Timothy to suffer hardship, to suffer trouble, to endure hardship. 
What kind of hardship is he talking about? Jake Mensel preached a few weeks ago, and, and, and one of the passages I think he read was 2 Corinthians 11. All right. So most of you have heard this recently. Let me remind you. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul compares himself with false apostles, and he says this. I have worked much harder than those false apostles. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Can you imagine what that man's back must have looked like? 39 lashes with a whip. Can you imagine what that would look like after one time? What about two times? Three times? Four times? Five times? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He didn't feel good after that. He didn't have the munchies. He was killed almost with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That is what Paul means when he commands Timothy to suffer hardship with me. Timothy knows exactly what Paul means. Now, it is true that most of us have never suffered hardship in any way like Paul did. All of us, none of us have suffered hardship in any way like Paul did. Is that because of the time and place that we live in? Well, yes and no. No, because what Paul already said that we just read a minute ago is that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Universal promise. No caveats. No time restraints. He doesn't say until, of course, you get to America. He says all who suffer to live, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So no, in one sense, it's not because of the time and place we live in, because that's a universal promise. But yes, on the other hand, it is to do with the time and place we live in. Our lack of persecution does have a lot to do with our time and place, doesn't it? But what is it? Think of how soft we are. Think of how utterly and completely soft we are. In America right now, we're going through a crisis, right? It's a crisis, and we're depressed, and we're discouraged, and we're fearful, and the world may be coming to an end. Why? Because gas prices have increased, and we can't go out to eat as much as we used to. We can't go to the movies as much as we want. We can't drive around as much as we like. The world is coming to an end. What will we do? We have swallowed our culture's obsession with comfort, hook, line, and sinker. We have. You have. I have. Tell me this, when you and I fail to speak to our neighbors and, and, and our colleagues and our co-workers and our friends and our family members, when we fail to speak to them about the certain reality of God's fierce wrath and judgment against them and their sin, when we fail to speak to them of that, and when we fail to speak to them of the glorious hope of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer who can cover their sin and shield them from that wrath of God, 
when we fail to say to them, yes, you are under the wrath of God. There is no hope for you. You have sinned and you know you've sinned and you know that you're under the judgment of God. And yet there is a redeemer, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died in your place, will cover you from the wrath of God with his blood if you believe in him. When we fail to open our mouths even just a little bit to save them from certain death and destruction. Tell me, what are we thinking? What keeps us from speaking to them? I think every one of us would say fear, right? Fear of what? Fear of being turned into the secret police who will beat us and throw us into a filthy cell without water or food or heat? Anyone have that fear this week? Fear of having our children sold into slavery? Anyone? Shut your mouth this week because you thought your children would be sold into slavery if you did. Um, Fear of having our homes destroyed with bulldozers? Fear of being placed in a re-education labor camp for 30 years? Anybody? That passed through your mind this week? How about fear of having our wives raped? Fear of being fined by the government? Fear of having our heads cut off? Fear of being hacked to pieces with machetes? Anybody? Those are all the kinds of things that really happen all the time, all over the world, to our brothers and sisters in Christ because they dare to preach the gospel. It is happening right now. I mean right now. 11.18 Eastern Standard Time in America, somewhere around the world right now, every one of those things is happening to our brothers and sisters. But none of us fear any of that, do we? None of it. So what do we fear? I'll tell you what we fear. We fear the emotional harm that will come to our fragile psyches if our friends don't like us. If they think we're weird. If they think we are overly religious, if they call us fundamentalists or religious wackos, or if they think we are intolerant or, worst of all, judgmental. We have no fear at all of anything like what our brothers and sisters all over the globe experience all the time. We fear people smirking at us and calling us names. We fear The great evil of having people not accept us. We we fear having our feelings hurt. Don't we? We would rather see people go to hell than have our feelings hurt. What in the world is that? When else and where else in the entire history of Christ's church has there ever been a people as soft as us? My brother David and his wife are going to Ireland as missionaries and they're being trained for a month in New York City, in Manhattan. And while they're there, they're being, uh, they're kind of home base as a church in Queens. The pastor of that church I was getting around looking online, trying to figure out where they were going to be while they were there. pastor of that church in Queens has written a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Anyone ever seen that book? Nobody. Well, when I heard the title of that book, I couldn't help but to think, when else and where else? In the history of the church, would anyone even think to write such a book? How would it even have entered into their mind to write such a book? Do you think the Apostle Paul had an emotionally healthy spirituality? Do you think the martyrs of the early church 
were concerned about the health of their emotions as they were being ripped apart by lions. Do you think the, the French Protestant Christians in the, in the 1700s, they're called the Huguenots, they would only be able to meet and have worship with one another if they were in the woods. And the soldiers were out looking for them all the time. And then one day, called St. Bartholomew's Day, thousands and thousands of them were massacred in the cities of France. Have you ever heard about that? You think they're worried about the, their emotional health? Do you think our brothers and sisters in the Sudan today, who are literally today being crucified for their faith in Jesus Christ, are worried about how emotionally healthy their spirituality is? Brothers and sisters, we are so soft. But what does God say? What does God say through the Apostle Paul? He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There is a war going on. There is a battle to be fought. And the job of a good soldier is to suffer hardship. A soldier who is not willing to endure hardship is not a good soldier. Now, some of you are thinking this right now. Here's what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but you know, how unsophisticated of you, because um, what we're reading from here in the New Testament is the second epistle of Paul to Timothy. And we all know that the second epistle of Paul to Timothy is a, what? It's a pastoral epistle. It's, it's like First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus, and they're written to pastors. And we know that nothing in these books has anything to do with us, because we're not pastors. Whew. I'm not a pastor. This command to suffer hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with me because I'm a housewife or I'm a grad student. I'm a musician. I'm retired. What in the world does this have to do with me? Nothing. Really? Does this only apply to Timothy? Does it only apply to full-time Christian workers, pastors and missionaries? Are they the only people that have that this command has any bearing on ask the question like this are pastors and missionaries the only people who are engaged in warfare when the holy spirit wrote these words in ephesians chapter 6 who is his audience he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Who's he talking to? Pastors? No. He's talking to you. Or what about 1 Corinthians 16, 13? Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be men. Be strong. Or what about 1 Peter 2, 11? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Or what about Hebrews 12? Consider him who endured from sinners, talking about Jesus Christ, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now listen. Is any of that the language of peace? 
Absolutely not. It is the language of war. And all of those passages are addressed to normal Christians just like you. If you are a believer, you have been drafted, and there is no dodging this draft. Being a combatant in this warfare is the normal life of a true Christian. That is what the Bible teaches. This command has everything to do with us, with you. Because being in warfare is the normal life of the true Christian. Now, I use those words really carefully. Warfare is the normal life of a Christian. If you are not experiencing anything of the inward or outward warfare that the Bible describes, then that is not normal. There is something wrong. We all go through times when, when in our sin, as Christians, we become lazy, we become soft, we let our guard down, we go AWOL. But that is not normal. God will not let you indefinitely go away without leave. The normal life of a Christian is warfare. And I said that being a combatant in this warfare is the normal life of a true Christian. A true Christian. Pastor Bailey last week mentioned a man named J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle was a bishop in the Anglican Church in England in the late 1800s. And he was a godly man. And as I was thinking about this this week, I came across these words from J.C. Ryle. Listen to them. He says, the first thing I have to say is this. True Christianity is a fight. True Christianity. Mind that word true. Let there be no mistake about my meaning. There is a vast quantity of religion current in the world which is not true, genuine Christianity. It passes muster. It satisfies sleepy consciences. But it is not good money. It is not the real thing which was called Christianity 1,800 years ago. There are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday and call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They are reckoned Christians while they live. They are married with a Christian marriage service. They are buried as Christians when they die. But you never see any fight about their religion. Of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring, they know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity may satisfy man. And those who say anything against it may be thought very hard and uncharitable. But it certainly is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and His apostles preached. True Christianity is a fight. Being a combatant in this warfare is the normal life of a true Christian. Do not imagine for a moment that this command to suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with you. Just read your Bible. It means what it says. God commands Timothy and God commands you to suffer hardship like a good soldier. What kind of hardship is it for you? What kind of hardship will it be like for you? Well, hardship like this. Resisting fierce temptation. Some of you this week have faced fierce temptation and you thought it would kill you. Some of you stood against it. Some of you fought. Some of you said, it's fierce temptation. I can't do anything about it. What can I do? It's hard. It'll hurt to resist this temptation. What am I supposed to do? After all, I thought Christianity was supposed to be easy. For some of you, it's standing against evil that you face all the time in the world or at your workplace. Standing up. Doing what Ephesians, what God in, the, in Ephesians, in the Bible, commands us to do. Exposing evil deeds. Hard. 
For some of you, it's standing against your family who thinks you're crazy because you actually take the Bible seriously. For some of you, it's the hard work, the hard, bloody work of killing your own sin. Putting it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. For some of you, it's changing what you want. You think it's easy to change what you want from godless, wicked darkness to loving God? Do you think that's easy? You haven't even begun to look at your own heart. Some of you are engaged in that warfare right right now, as I speak. Will you stand? Will you suffer hardship? The problem is that most of us have always thought that Christianity would be easy. And the moment that hardship comes, we're done. Did you think it would be easy? Did you think that it would be automatic? I was thinking about this the other day. There's an old phrase that some of you know, and maybe even some of you believe. And the phrase is, let go and let God. One of the most wicked things that ever passed out of a man's mouth is let go and let God. You know why? It's easy. It completely denies everything the Bible says. That's why. The Bible says, fight, suffer, wrestle, stand, kill, sweat, make every effort... Struggle. Who in the world came up with let go and let God after reading the Bible? Now in verses 4 to 6, he gives us three metaphors or word pictures of what this looks like. Real quickly, three things. A soldier, an athlete, a farmer. What's the point of all of these things? He says a soldier who's engaged in, in active duty... One, he says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. There is a mindset that goes with being a soldier. It is everything that I do is for one purpose. Everything that I do serves one purpose. It is to obey orders and, and please my commanding officer, the one who enlisted me. It is to fight and accomplish the goal that he's commanded me to, to accomplish. Everything in the soldier's life, the good soldier's life, revolves around that. So you can understand what he says. A good soldier doesn't live his life as a soldier with this little life on the side, little business. He doesn't carry around, you know, the, the packages and the, and the baggage of, of some business that he does for himself. If he has a business, like the Apostle Paul did, remember the Apostle Paul? Worked with his hands, made tents, so that he could support himself for ministry. The work that he did, he did for the sake of the ministry. It wasn't civilian affairs for him. It was all part of the war. A good soldier doesn't get involved with things like that. He has one purpose, to please his master. Secondly, an athlete. Verse 5, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. That's an easy one to understand. We've got the Olympics coming up in a few days. And you know that if those, if those Olympic athletes have trained in a way that cuts corners, that cheats, they will not win. They'll either be beaten by the ones who have not cut corners or they'll be disqualified for the prize. That's easy to understand. The third one is a farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. The Proverbs are filled with warnings against lazy farmers. You cannot be a good farmer and be lazy. Here's one of them. It says, Proverbs 24, I just love the picture here. I passed by the field of the sluggard. And by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. 
and its stone wall was broken down. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. If you're a lazy farmer, you're not a farmer for very long. The hardworking farmer is the first to get a share of the crops. That's easy to understand too, isn't it? That's what the Christian life is like. That is what it means to endure hardship. Think about the point of all of those pictures. It's very simple to understand. If you're going to obey God and suffer hardship for His cause, you need three things. You need the dedication of, and single-mindedness of a good soldier. You need the law-abiding obedience of a good athlete who keeps the rules. And you need the painstaking labor of a good farmer. Without those things, you will never be able to suffer hardship and you will never get the results. Look at the results. There will be no victory for the soldier unless he gives himself wholeheartedly to his soldiering. No wreath for the athlete unless he keeps the rules. No harvest for the farmer unless he sweats at his farming. Now, why is he saying all of that? This is another sermon. And I will preach it some, sometime in the future, Lord willing. But I just want you to see what it says. Look at verses 8 through 10. Paul goes on to say in exactly the same way there will be no new Christians apart from suffering hardship. Look what he says. Verse 8. He says he's suffering hardship for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, even to imprisonment as a criminal. He was literally in, in a prison at this time. And he says, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who were chosen. So that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. There's only one thing that those words can possibly mean. There will be no salvation for God's elect unless people like Paul and you and I endure all things for their sake so that they will believe and obtain the salvation that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings them. No victory if the soldier doesn't fight wholeheartedly. No prize if the athlete doesn't compete according to the rules. No fruit in the harvest if the farmer isn't hardworking. No Christians. Without enduring hardship for their sake. Obeying God's command to suffer hardship requires wholehearted, rigorous, sweaty dedication. Now, here's the question. Here's the last question for us. Hopefully, hopefully, if you're taking this at all seriously, this is the only question left in your head. How in the world do I do that? Where in the world do I get the strength, the motivation, the power to do any of that? That's not me. How in the world do I do any of that? God tells us two things. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In verse 8 he says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Consider and remember. There is no way you and I will be able to live like this unless we totally reorient our minds. This is exactly what we have to do. Because we have been so, so infected by the love of ease of our culture, there is only one thing we can do. We have to completely re reorient our minds. And this is work. It's the work of the mind. Consider and remember. What do you spend your days considering? Be honest with yourself. What is it really that you spend your days thinking about, considering, contemplating? You spend your days considering your bank account, the stock market, the interest rates. Your portfolio? Do you spend your days considering how you will entertain yourself? 
Do you spend your days considering, contemplating, plotting, scheming about what the next big thing will be for you? The new computer, the new job, the vacation, the graduation, the retirement. All consumed considering those things. Do you spend your days considering how you'll advance your reputation and your popularity? Do you consider your days, spend your days considering how many friends you have on Facebook? And what will they think of you when they see what you're up to these days? How you will advance your career. How you will increase your comforts. How you will put your death off as long as you possibly can. What do you spend your days remembering? Really, think about it. What do you spend your days remembering? When you look back, what do you look back on? What do you think about? Do you remember how you were a victim? How you have always gotten the short end of the stick? How you have never been appreciated and loved and supported like you deserve? Oh, you do deserve it, don't you? You remember how bad they are? Do you spend your days replaying the video over and over and over again on a continuous loop through your mind? What he did to you, what she said, how they treated you? You see, we spend our days considering everything but what God says here in 2 Timothy 2. And we spend our days remembering everything but Jesus Christ. And then we wonder why it is that all this talk of suffering and hardship and discipline and war and work sounds so odd to our ears. It all sounds so odd because we're so soft. And we are so soft because we have turned all of our energies and all of our thoughts to the things of this world and almost nothing towards the world to come. When was the last time you thought consciously, on purpose, considered your death? And what will happen to you afterwards? We think nothing, nothing of the world to come. Nothing. And then we wonder, why don't I like this talk of suffering? Why don't I like this talk of hardship? How come I don't see a war? We don't see war because we have been completely overtaken by the enemy and we like it that way. What does God say? He says, consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Consider these things. Work out the logic in your head. Spend time, spend energy working out on purpose this logic in your head. Contemplate the realities of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. Think about those things. What am I what what does all of that have to do with what I'm consumed with right now? What is most important to me right now? Where is the fight? Where is the the wholehearted devotion? Where is the struggle? Where is the hard-working sweat that will produce a harvest of fruit? Where is it? And God says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That is our only hope for any kind of obedience. Remember Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died. And He is the ultimate example of what it means to suffer hardship. What I just read to you in, in, from Hebrews said, 
When you start to get weak in your struggle against sin, remember what it said? Look at Jesus Christ. You haven't even begun to struggle against sin. Look at Jesus Christ. He is the one whose appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. This is what Isaiah 53 says. He is the one who is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is the one who is pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he endured the worst suffering that could ever be endured. He endured the wrath and justice of God Almighty in the place of sinners. Just like you and me. Remember. Remember. Servant. The servant is not greater than his master. If that's how they treated him, do you really think you can get through life? These? Are you his disciple? Are you a Christian? That's not all you need to remember. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. His suffering led to something else. This is exactly the logic you have to beat into your brain. His suffering led to something else. It led to a glorious resurrection. The fight leads to victory. Competing according to the rules leads to the prize. Hardworking farmer sweat leads to harvest. Death leads to resurrection. Your obedience will lead to glory. And He did it all for you. He did all of that suffering He endured for you if, if, only if, because He has nothing to do with you if you refuse to bow your knee to Him. That suffering has something to do with you if you will bow your knee to Him and take Him as your Lord and trust Him as your Savior. If you refuse to bow your knee to Him and take Him as your Lord and trust Him as your Savior, He will crush you. And you deserve it. So do I. But He is holding out terms of peace to you right now, written in the blood of His Son, sealed, full pardon, full amnesty, friendship, blessing, sealed in the blood of His Son. If you'll stop thumbing your nose at Him and if you'll bow your knee to Him. And then you'll be in a fight and it will not be easy But it's going somewhere. And it's glorious. Paul begins this chapter, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.